0: Good morning, everyone. It's October 6th, and we're starting the planning. October I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't know. my watch is a little off here. So it's October 5th, and we're starting our planning board meeting. Uh, all of the board members are here this morning, however, uh, Commissioner Linden is participating virtually. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to welcome our special guests this morning. Uh, we have uh, 30 officials from the Mandaluyong City in the Philippines to Montgomery County and the Planning Commission's Headquarters in Wheaton. The delegation includes the City's Vice Mayor, eight City Councilors and the Head of the City's Planning and Development Office and the heads of several other City agencies. This group is participating in a multi-day tour of sites and government agencies in the Montgomery County in D.C highlighting innovation and exemplary practices in local governance. They've also squeezed in a visit to the US Capitol yesterday and the White House tomorrow. So they're, they're very busy. They'll be visiting with Montgomery Planning this morning, learning about the planning and the development review process in Montgomery County. Later today, they'll be meeting with our County Council in Rockville. Please join me in welcoming our friends from abroad as well as Dr. Tahir Shah from the Washington College and the Washington Global Institute, who has been coordinating the visit and hosting the delegation. We're glad that you are all here, and our team looks forward to meeting with you. So welcome, thank you. We'll start with item number one, preliminary, preliminary matters, the adoption of resolutions. We have three resolutions this morning to adopt Aurora Estates, Montgomery Village Marketplace, and Montgomery Village Marketplace preliminary plan. Uh, do I have a, a move for, motion, for approval?
1: All right. All right, move that we approve the Aurora Estates preliminary plan number one, 2023
2: I second it. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Aye.
0: Aye. 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 Uh, the ayes have it. The second one is Montgomery Village Marketplace Site Plan Number 82009006A. Do I have a, a motion for approval?
2: I move uh, to approve the uh, plan, site plan for Montgomery Village Marketplace Site Plan Number 82009006A.
0: Seconded. All in favor?
2: Aye.
0: Aye. 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 Any opposed? The ayes have it. This next is Montgomery Village Marketplace Preliminary Plan 1200909A. Do I have a motion for approval?
3: I so move. I'll second. All in favor? Aye. Aye.
0: Aye. Aye. The ayes have it. Our next item is item number two, record plat approvals. Uh, the first one is subdivision plat number 220220690, Wilbur Acres, Section 2, where staff is recommending approval. Do I have a motion for approval?
1: Yeah, move to approve the subdivision plat number two twenty 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 two o six nine o.
2: I second.
0: All in favor? Aye. 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 Josh, is that an Aye. Oh, sorry. I- <laughs> the ayes have it. Uh, the, the last one is subdivision plat number 220240040 Brothers Grove, where staff is recommending approval. Do I have a motion for approval?
2: I move a motion for approval.
3: I second.
0: All in favor?
2: Aye. Aye. Aye.
0: Aye. The ayes have it. We're going on to item number four, which is the round table discussion where the parks director, uh, Director Riley, is is giving his presentation. Good morning.
4: Good morning, Chair Harris and the Planning Board. Mike Riley, Director of Parks. Uh, This morning, as part of my director's report, I'm continuing my uh, my, uh, progression through various themes that I think the board should know about in the Parks Department, today's theme is about uh, data and analytics and various tools we use to manage the department uh, through the use of data. Uh, I have two more upcoming in the next uh, uh, several uh, weeks. Uh, Next up I'm going to bring the park police to introduce themselves and make sure the board understands the role and meets the command staff of our uh, park police division. And then after that, I'm going to bring in the team that uh, reviews uh, third-party impacts to parkland and how we manage that, minimize those impacts uh, for projects that inevitably will uh, have significant parkland impact. And I'm talking about public and private projects like commercial development or something like the Purple Line or WSSC meeting its consent decree by relining at sewers in the Stream Valley, and that's a, a big piece of our work program that we um, we, we try to, to minimize negative impacts to parks, but where they must occur through third-party development, we try to uh, minimize and then mitigate for any impacts that actually uh, happened. But just a little intro to today's uh, team. Why don't you guys all come up and uh, introduce you in a minute? Um This is our data analytics team, and um, if I go back 15 years or so, uh, if you wanted to know what was in the park system, like how many tennis courts do we have, how many playgrounds, how many miles of trails, the first thing you'd need to do is figure out who is the person who would have that siloed data. And then if you were lucky enough to identify them and find them, you might say, "Okay, tell me about our inventory of playgrounds," and you might get an answer like, "Well, I have a spreadsheet, but I haven't updated it in a couple of years. <laughs> let me go out in the field and do some work, and I'll let you know how many playgrounds we, we have." And uh, so we've saw that was that was a big starting point of this, and that's been solved for a long time now. When I uh, am asked, you know, what is our park system, and I say. It's 37,220 acres of land, over 419 parks. I can say that with a straight face now. And I can go to our EAM database and look it up in real time at any point. Uh, Similarly, uh, I can say we now have 90 pickleball courts. We went from zero to 90 in five years on pickleball. Uh, And I could go on and on, 201 miles of natural surface trail, uh, 284 Athletic fields. Athletic fields is an interesting one uh, because we've had to work hard for years to say, how do you count athletic fields? What if you have a field that's a diamond in the spring where you play baseball, and then in the fall you put soccer goals in the outfield and line it as a rectangle? Do you call that one field? Do you call that two fields? And that might sound kind of petty, but those nuances when you're collecting data are so important, and, and this team has done a great job. So they're going to talk. Their presentation is going to w- go well beyond that and talk about various tools and analytics that that we have done, um, things like G- A- GIS and E A M and other acronyms. They will uh, will talk to you about. And the last thing I'll say before I intro the team to r- run th- through some slides is when we started on this, it was. It was kind of a directive from the top down that we are going to manage this department by data. And and whenever you start that way, it's a little bit rough because people may or may not buy into it. The whole thing has been flipped now where the various units within the Parks Department will come to this team and say, hey, I have an issue I need to solve. Can you help me solve it? And they're seen as a service provider now, so they have—they don't have to convince anybody about what we're trying to do here. People see what's been done now and come to this team and say, "Hey, I want to get sophisticated, just like my uh, my uh, partner over here has done with with uh, their dashboards and data." Um, so, with that, I—the uh, last thing I'll say that's unrelated is when I'm done with the presentation, I'm going to hand you the latest flyer of October and November events so that you have that handy with you should you find yourself on a weekend at any point with some idle time you can just pull this up and uh, come to one of our events and join us Uh, but with that let me introduce uh, Suchi Vera the uh, division chief of our management services division
5: good morning chair Harris vice chair petalim and commissioners Um, For the record, my name is Shuchi Vera, and I'm the Chief of the Management Services Division. And with me, I have Hassan Sims, who's our Data Analytics Manager. Um, I just wanted to say a couple of words, and then I'm going to pass it on to Hassan, because I know we don't have a lot of time, and we have a lot of things to share with you. Um, Just to piggyback on what um, Mike um, said earlier, um, there has been... Um, an evolution of the data analytics team over the last 15, 20 years. And, um, and Hassan's gonna dig into that just a little bit more so we, we can set the context of where we came from and where, where we are today. Um, but lately, the focus has been on, and Mike mentioned this, or Director Riley mentioned this, is um, data visualizations, really democratizing data to get it into the hands of our employees, more and more of our employees. And that has meant a lot of training. That has meant um, getting the data into mobile form, so our um, staff in the field have more access to it, and actually can also be part of inputting data. Um, because, as Mike, as Director Riley mentioned, you know we have thousands of assets across our park system—not just the stuff that you see on the ground, like playgrounds—but we're talking um, underground utilities. Um, we're talking about um, Bathrooms. We're talking about support facilities that we don't always think about when we think about the park system, but they're just as important. So, um, in doing that, it's um, we have realized recently that we really need to get um, we need to get uh, platforms and software in the hands of as many people as possible, especially those out in the field, so they can help us update those assets and make sure we have the latest and greatest and the most accurate. Um, So uh, I'll just say also, just to give you some context, the data analytics section sits in the management services division. Um, I also have in my division our operating budget, um, our uh, HR and employee uh, development, I have program access, and I also have um, innovation and efficiencies, just to give you a little bit of the lay of the land. Um, We also work very closely with planning in terms of GIS. Um, And we also work with our partners in um, Prince George's uh, Park and Recreation because we share one of our one of the systems. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Hassan.
6: Thank you, Suchi. Good morning. Is this on? All right. Just want to make sure. Uh, Good morning, distinguished commissioners. Today, I'd like to give you an overview and highlights of the data analytics section. That is a part of the Management Services Division at the Montgomery County Parks Department. I'd first like to go over how we matured through the years. In 2004, Montgomery Parks implemented a work order system for operations to managing our work program. We were one of the first in the commission to realize this need. In 2012, Montgomery Parks started to work with Prince George's Parks and Recreation to create a system that would be able to give us better understanding of how much it costs to maintain and operate a park system by capturing costs from work orders and updating our systems to do more robust operations like GIS and scheduling work orders to increase efficiencies. In 2014, INFOR went live for both Montgomery County Parks and Prince George's Parks and Recreation. In 2017, Montgomery County Parks created its first strategic plan for EAM to create a framework and vision to better utilize EAM software to ensure our department is making data-driven decisions. In 2019, Montgomery County Parks created a strategic plan for the GIS to optimize the utilization of this technology within our department. In 2020, the data analytics section was created to include EAM, GIS, and analytics because of a heavy demand created by the pandemic. In 2021, the data analytics strategic plan was adopted to ensure we meet the data demand for the department. The vision for our section is to provide services to enhance and support the department's data-driven goals. The mission has four components, to provide accurate and meaningful information of our park system assets, automate and streamline business processes, foster efficiencies, improvements, and better decision-making, enable employees to utilize data-driven technologies to their full potential. I'll go into more detail in the coming slides. Assets are extremely important because it's the foundation of our system, and all of our analysis is derived from them. Assets vary from BMX tracks, greenhouses, golf, and water parks as pictured. We have over 40,000 assets in our system currently and is continually growing. This, This component benefits is to ensure our data is relevant for our departmental goals. Automation. It is one of our newer components and is extremely important for us to implement if we want to keep up with the data analytics world. Big data, unstructured raw data from various sources as you can see from the bubble in the graphic are swirling around and we need to automate this process in which we can digest this information to make sound analytical products like dashboards to make better data-driven decisions. We are currently working on creating automatic feed to our current systems internally which are on the right to input information from other sources automatically to have more robust analytics. This goal will increase efficiencies to deliver more robust analytics tools that will be close to real time. This is our next frontier, and we're excited to embark on it. The next one is analytics. It ensures Data and analytic tools are available to meet departmental plans and needs like the PROS and to help us prioritize park needs through analysis of several data points that can be enhanced by automatic automating big data in our current systems. Currently, we have started to showcase several tools and data sets that can help the divisions with their work program. It is an internal webpage called Parkstat that has informed information on our current analytics tools like dashboards and data sets. The last component is outreach and education. This purpose is to ensure staff have the knowledge on how to use EAM, GIS, and dashboards, and understand how it can be used in their everyday work. We currently create training videos on LinkedIn Learning, in-person and virtual trainings to help staff understand the different systems we currently have a currently newsletter that sends out information about what we do as a team for the organization, and three yearly signature events, GIS Day, Geography Week, and a Data Analytics Summit. This provides the department insight on what is new in the data analytics world and gives them an understanding on how they can potentially use it. This component is to build on what is currently being done and enhance it where we can. This is the data analytics organizational chart as of now. I'd like to acknowledge all the team members, so please stand up if you are in the room. Suchi Vera, the division chief of uh, management services division. You don't have to stand. (laughs) Uh, I'm the manager for data analytics team. Keegan Clifford is the GIS coordinator. Tiffany Wu is the GIS specialist, Carter Hughes is the data analyst, Vikas Kapoor is the EM project manager, and Niels Leike is the asset manager. I would now like to highlight a project for each of the units and how we benefit from the department. In the GIS unit, the community gardens program has adopted GIS in its entirety. The program used ArcGIS Field Maps, an all-in-one mobile app to capture new and update garden plots in the field. This allows users to see their plots before signing up for their plots online, which increases a better user experience. Using GIS, the inventory of the garden plots are now updated on demand, which increases the accuracy of information to our users and our staff to ensure the programs move smoothly. They also use a GIS mobile app that allows staff to collect data on inspections, log photos, send inspection reports automatically to gardeners, and this adoption of this tool has increased the efficiency of inspections while saving staff countless hours. Analytics. Parks is using analytics to use clustering technology to perform condition assessment inspections on county-wide programs such as bridges, boardwalks, culverts, courts, retaining walls, bleachers, playgrounds, you name it. This will help prioritize and track park assets through mobile applications. It will help inform the CIP renovations through a more equitable lens. It, is also, it also automates the program processes and streamlines data collection. It eliminates paperwork and allows for identification, evaluation, and faster response to poorly rated assets. EAM, Facilities Management Division um, is utilizing EAM for the building condition assessment. It enables us to collect the data on different components such as structural, architectural, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, fire protection, and environmental systems of buildings. Currently, there are 399 building components that need to be evaluated for over 300 buildings. EAM is a great fit for this project because of its usability and how it can capture copious amounts of information and the ability to put it into digestible reports for evaluation and determining prioritization in an equitable and budget conscious way. The current inspection cycle is five years, but with the incorporation of the EAM mobile application and clustering technology, we believe it it will decrease the cycle considerably. And just one more for good measure for the future i would also like to add um, uh, this in the near future we are really excited for this new tool called the asset tool this is going to be a parks employee crowdsourcing mapping tool for asset management it is designed to allow a wide range of park employees to request changes of assets via a browser-based map and data entry tool that can be easily accessed via a mobile device in the field or from a desktop This process will alleviate the need for lengthy interactions between persons requesting asset changes in EAM and GIS and will reduce human error with the transfer of information. This can also be expanded to allow users internally and externally to report issues with our park system. And with that, I conclude my presentation. I thank you all for allowing me to present to you today, and I look forward to your continued support of the data analytics section. I can take any questions that you may have.
0: Uh, any questions, comments, board members?
3: Thanks for your presentation. And um, it's neat to see how the um, life cycle of the data management team has progressed. And it's always important to know what you have in order to utilize what you have and be of service to the community. And so I I understand your work. And there was a time where I didn't understand data, but when you're such a large organization, not just here, but out and about serving the community, this information is really vital in implementing your program. So thanks for your work and thanks for sharing. go
4: ahead.
1: Oh, I was going to say likewise. Thank you. That was really interesting, and I've really enjoyed using like the GIS products in particular. So, as a as a more of a data analyst in a in, a, in previous career stops, I, I get really excited about this kind of thing. So, thanks a lot. I appreciate it.
2: So for me, is that I'm emotionally really moved. Uh, Hassan and I have this thing that when I interviewed Hassan, he could hear from the back door that I started dancing. Do you remember that? <laughs> I don't know how he said this. Let me try. I heard you dancing. So <laughs> I remember that. And I was very much involved with all of these things. Uh, data is my passion. And I know that we, you and I, worked together with Shuchi for the first, the very first strategic plan that we had there. And... It is so good to see how far you guys have come. And I am extremely proud of the work because this is the vision that we had. Mm-hmm. It was a long-term vision, but you guys made it possible. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm really emotionally moved. Um, the dashboarding, creating uh, the data to be correct, helping to make the data to be correct, and the way that you have done it through the push notification and I totally agree that the dashboarding and the data is first for the employees. For them to use to manage their work and also make sure that the data is accurate. So you you guys have gone a long way and and I'm really proud of the work that you have done. and. I hope that other agencies take examples of this. Uh, When I was at DPS, I hired the data analyst to be right under the director's office to start doing this dashboarding with business BI. And you guys have come a long way. So I know I remember we were talking about uh, EAM and how we wanted to get a new system. I'm wondering that is it now cloud-based and is it uh, in are we parks department in a position that uh, you know when you want to upgrade the system, it's just on a fee. It's like Microsoft that it just uh, I forgot the terminology for thing uh, because that's what I was trying to do when I was at DPS. So put it on the cloud. And it's like Microsoft that they just upgraded, but that means that the system is not just customized to the department, it's customized for the best standard technology in United States. That's the way to go in future. So I do not know if we are there yet.
6: Uh, Thank you guys for the kind words. Um, Yes, the... EAM system is in a cloud-based system. It actually, was bought by Hexagon, and Hexagon is. Act- we're actually going through an upgrade right now, and it's all being done.
2: So it's scenes. not that uh, you we just on a service fee yeah. and the cloud fee, and we don't have to you know go back and buy the software and upgrade it and all of those. So you are working with the technology. That's good. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank um, you.
0: Yes, Ms. Vera and Mr. Sims, uh, great great presentation as always. Um, yeah. I, I know the Parks Department is such a great organization and it's growing so fast and, and you let us look behind the, under the hood today and so to see, you know, how do you manage all the, the what do you say, 40,000 assets that you have and uh, be, uh, so, so this is great and keep up the good work and, and thank you for presenting. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thanks so much for your presentation. If, if
4: I may just, uh, on Commissioner Petaweem's comments, uh, Commissioner Petaweem is personally responsible for the Parks Department having electronic signatures. It was one of her other passions. So occasionally when I'm at home at night signing documents on my phone and my wife asks me what I'm doing, I say I'm do using Adobe Sign to sign documents. And if she gets mad at me, I say you can thank Commissioner Petaweem for that. <laughs> But thank you very much for uh, indulging us today.
0: So we'll take a two-minute break and then start into our next item, item number six, University Boulevard Quarter Plan Briefing. Thank you. Good morning, we're on item number six, University Boulevard Quarter Plan, where staff will give us a briefing and they're recommending to provide, or they're providing an overview of existing development, market analysis, and outreach and engagement completed to date for the University Boulevard Plan. Uh, Good morning. Uh, Mr. Yearwood uh, will lead this presentation.
7: Uh, Good morning, Mr. Chair, Board Members, and co Yearwood for the record. Uh, along with me today, um, several members of the planning team for University Boulevard. Uh, to my right, uh, is Adrian Vela. And to my left is um, Alex Rixby, our transportation lead planner on this project. And then to his left is uh, Bilal Ali, our financial uh, specialist. And we also have Ms. Sanders, division chief, as well as Ms. McVary, um, master plan supervisor. So um, our task today to you is to prevent your briefing. Um, the last time that we were here, many of you were not here um, as board members. So um, it may be new, it's going to be new to many of you. So we're going to give you some background and context um, where we've been uh, since the last time we've been to the board, which was in February of this year when the, um, the scope of work uh, was approved. Uh, so next slide. Um, so the plan area boundary is the image on the, the right portion of the screen. So uh, we were between the Beltway, 495, going to the edge of the Wheaton uh, Central Business District on Amherst. Um, it's roughly three and a half miles. Um, the, the notion for University Boulevard is that this will be one of several plans to come. Um, the area between uh, the Beltway going further south, our colleagues in the Down County area will be taking that up. We'll um, to you either later this year or next year regarding a scope of work. Um, and then eventually, the notion is to do the area between uh, Wheaton going into Kensington. Um, so this is some brief highlights. Um, the area has um, a variety of transit routes, primarily in Montgomery County ride-on routes, as well as Metro, metro Bus uh, C2, C4, which has some of the highest ridership in the state of Maryland regarding bus use. Um, it's a future bus rapid transit corridor, which is part of the, the reasons for looking at this area uh, in terms of comprehensive planning it. Um, bike lanes, we don't have any today. There was a project that the state did back in 21 as an interim pilot project. Um, it's a state-controlled roadway, um, so we have to coordinate and do a lot of work with uh, M. SHG as well as Montgomery County Department of Transportation. Um, this, the state uh, lowered the speed limit uh, a couple of years back down to 35. It was higher in the past. Uh, it's primarily a six-lane um, roadway section. Uh, next slide. So a bit on uh, the sort of demographic profile of this area. Um, we have roughly within the plan area about 3,400 units. About 1,000 of those are multifamily, and most of that is sort of clustered at the intersection of Arcola with a variety of high-rise buildings. Um, by and large, the profile of this area is similar to Montgomery County, roughly in terms of age, ethnic makeup, um, et cetera. And then on the next slide, um, you'll see... Um, the similarity between this planet area and um, the overall county in terms, of, um, how it, in terms of age distribution, how things are in terms of similar percentages in terms of younger folks versus people that are a little bit uh, older, 65 or older. Um, so in terms of the profile from the mix, et cetera, um, is similar um, to a lot of uh, Montgomery County. Uh, next slide. Um, so we've done, um, in terms of public engagement, so the, the staff memorandum you have has public engagement on the sort of back portion of the, the sum of the, the memorandum. Um, this presentation, we're starting with um, sort of our public engagement strategies and what we've done so far. So um, we, we, as a department, as, as an agency, have not worked in this area for a number of years in terms of um, doing a comprehensive plan. So the last plan that was done Um, In this area, was Kemp Mill from 2001. Uh, Four Corners was done in 96. And we have some other plans that date back to the late 80s. So so what we did in terms of trying to to notify people, make sure all the property owners along the corridor are notified. So we started with that sort of uh, traditional mailing people information, um, mailing multifamily uh, property owners, et cetera. Um, And then we started with a public open house Um, And we've done a variety of things uh, since then. So what's on the screen here is sort of some of the things that we've done in terms of canvassing, um, going to public events, riding uh, the C2C4 bus, going to bus stops, meeting with people, online engagement. Uh, So we've done both in terms of um, in-person, following up in online, using Zoom as our online tool um, to sort of reach people who are not coming out uh, to meet us uh, in person. Next slide. So this is sort of a, an overall sort of summation of a variety of things we have done in terms of, of 10 person ten in-person meetings, that's doubling up with the in-person as well as the virtual. Um, we've done community workshops, both at high schools as well as within this auditorium where we are today. We've um, Going to a variety of community events, such as North Four Corners Park. We've done a lot of uh, canvassing with Everyday Canvassing. That's a, a, a group. of company that does uh, sort of political campaigning, um, using their expertise to sort of go, especially focused on getting to the multifamily residents who live within the plan area. Um, We've done questionnaires in terms of online, as well as when we host um, a public um, meeting. Um, And then Zubin will get into this later in terms of um, sort of analyzing a lot of the, the words that we've received in terms of from those surveys and sort of documenting it and making sure we're really seeing what people are telling us and informing us of the things that are important to them as part of this plan. Uh, Next slide.
2: Before you go to next slide, uh, the last line, you said 20,000 plus words of text analyzed. What does that mean? That's the first time I hear something like that. Sorry, but I'm just curious. Yeah, we'll
7: we'll get get into that um, as we move forward in this presentation. Uh, okay, so again, a summation of some of our outreach in person as well as community meetings. Um, we did an open house back in November of last year at Blair High. We had about 80 people there. Um, we followed that with about um, a week later. we had over hundred people via Zoom terms was the same sort of structure. so our approach is to have the same in-person sort of setup as we do virtually in terms of presentation, information shared, et etc And then we had a variety of other public meetings. um, And then we had some community workshops. So the community workshops was a way for us to really get the the public and the community sort of focused on specific areas. So we broke the areas into two segments, between the Beltway and Dennis, and then between Dennis going into Amherst. So you have two images there in terms of the bottom row. And then an image on the online is from a meeting we had with uh, the University Towers uh, condominium uh, next slide. And then there's some additional work that we've done in terms of partnering with um, different agencies within the county. So again, as I mentioned earlier, we haven't worked in this area for a number of years. So in terms of trying to figure out who are some of the community leaders, people who are already established in the community. So um, we've done some partnerships with Action in Montgomery, Impact Civil Spring, Um, to sort of do uh, sort of an entree into the Latino-Hispanic community. And we've also done some work with the Montgomery County Business Center, um, working with their business liaisons, um, Daniel Corma and and Patrice, Um, in terms of going out, meeting business owners, uh, listening to them, hearing what their concerns are. Um, We've met with uh, some of the property owners in the Four Corners area, as well as doing some of the traditional community association work. Um, for those um, associations that are along um, the corridor, as well as um, online we have set up um, a hub where people could reach out to us and the image on the bottom right with the Gilmore Drive residents that was held in, in a resident's backyard with four or five people um, in terms of sitting with me just talking about a plan and learning more information. Um, so next slide. Um, I'll transition over uh, to Zubin, who will answer your your question, Commissioner,
8: regarding uh, the number of words, et cetera, um, and then we'll continue the presentation. Uh, Thank you, Nkosi. Uh, Good morning, Commissioners. Uh, For the record, Zubin Adrienvala with Mid-County Planning. Uh, So when it came to outreach, we uh, also had on-ground efforts. So we uh, rode the C2 and C4 buses uh, during traffic and then uh, tried to engage with as many transit users as we could. We also were at the bus stops talking to people. And as Nkosi already mentioned, uh, to reach out to uh, traditionally underrepresented groups. Uh, We used canvassing uh, with the help of everyday canvassing. Uh, And we knocked on over 1,000 doors. Uh, This led to around 230-odd conversations that were documented uh, as we spoke to these individuals. Uh, Next slide, please. Uh, Additionally, what we also had uh, was a digital outreach where we developed an interactive website Uh, Acting as a platform where the community could suggest improvements and changes concerning bike routes, uh, sidewalks, roadways, etc. This, along with our questionnaire, has been a rich source of community feedback uh, where members have provided us with their thoughts and ideas. Uh, Next slide, please. Uh, but gathering feedback uh, is just one part of the equation. Analyzing the data to derive actionable insights is essential. Uh, we conducted a qualitative data analysis on the roughly 20,000 words of community feedback that we received. So we were looking at at least 80 pages of community feedback that we had, and uh, we wanted to consider every opinion in a meaningful, uh, data-dependent way. So uh, while quantitative data like numbers and percentages can give us a sort of broad strokes of what's available in the community. Uh, qualitative data, when analyzed, provides meaning, context, and depth. So it helps us understand the why and the what uh, of what the community wants. And um, with our community's diverse experiences and perspectives, we felt that the QDA was an ideal method to get nuanced insights. Uh, more importantly, it allowed us to consider a broader perspective of the community and uh, prevented us from being influenced by sort of the loudest voices or even our personal biases. So We uh, were very keen on capturing those diverse perspectives. And to answer your question, Commissioner, I'll go to the next slide, please. Um, So here you can see a a typical comment that we would receive. This is a sort of made up comment, almost an aggregation of like what our kind of canvassing comment would be like. So uh, the person uh, here is saying, I'm concerned about bike lanes causing accidents since people will not stop speeding would like bike or bus lanes, but I'm not sure how they'll be implemented. Lowering rent and increasing the number of nearby grocery stores would enhance affordability and convenience. Uh, Our apartments also have a lot of mice and rats. Uh, Maintaining the diversity and supporting small business is essential. Uh, Can you make it easier to cross University Boulevard, maybe overhead pedestrian walkways or safety? Uh, I have observed a rise in crime. Uh, especially on buses and trains. So this is a typical comment that we would get, and it's very easy to sort of cherry-pick what we want out of it and you know quote it in a report. But we wanted to go a little beyond that, so every comment was coded to a certain level of themes in uh, Nvivo, which is a powerful software tool that we, we use. So, of course, that software doesn't code it. We manually coded it. Uh, so when we started coding the data, we uh, s- started assigning labels and themes to every single... Uh, line of text that we received. Uh, As we progressed, patterns began to emerge, revealing community sentiments and aspirations. Uh, So a simple statement like this can be coded to several themes. So it allows us to go in-depth into every single comment that we received. Uh, Where we had demographic data uh, for individuals who gave us that data, either in one-on-one conversations or through the questionnaire, we also have the ability to track sentiments based on demographic profiles of individuals. So we can, uh, where we have the data available, we can say what do we hear from our multi-family residents uh, compared to what we hear from our single-family residents. So it allows us a greater nuanced insight uh, based on age, uh, race, location even, uh, wherever it's possible. We also did this, by the way, where we had non-demographic qualitative data. For instance, every time after a meeting, we would uh, collect staff notes. So when we had workshops, staff spoke to various individuals, and I would collect staff notes, and then we would put it in the software so that we could also code the staff notes. So it gave us a rich understanding. Uh, So after this sort of complicated analysis, uh, we come to the next slide. So
2: uh, This is done by a software, but how is it broken down by a software, but or by a human?
8: By a human. Uh, okay, so human by a human is bro- <laughs> so that's you. Yes. <laughs> I just do it in a software, but uh, it's, it's basically selecting, highlighting text, and then coding it to a, and then we do a second pass just to make sure that. Uh, but did miss anything yeah. but yeah. this
2: way you capture all the comments even though if it's not related to the project to make sure that somebody's right. captured and mm-hmm. then you send it to like uh, safety or uh, other departments absolutely and okay <laughs> that's really good thank yeah.
8: you uh, and with everyday canvassing we also got comments which were not necessarily planning related but it highlighted food insecurity concerns for instance in multifamily and uh, that's things that,
2: really good mm-hmm. i think that somehow you need to make sure that those people that make these comments somehow they know that look we may not have been able to do everything for you but all your comments are captured and sent to the right officials mm-hmm. to take care of it that's a really good thing i and didn't know about it yeah.
1: Yeah. i was actually thinking while you were talking about this i'm like i want just because it's Part of my day job is I was wondering if you were using in vivo, I actually wrote it down in a question mark test. Thanks Uh, for letting (laughs) me know.
8: Yeah, one of my favorite softwares for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, So in our analysis so far, uh, we have found that the community has a deep appreciation for its neighborhood diversity. Uh, However, concerns were raised uh, about pedestrian safety and the urgent need for enhanced biking infrastructure in some places. Uh, Housing emerged as another focal area with issues related to quality, affordability, and availability of housing. On the transportation front, the community expressed a strong desire for better infrastructure, including signalized intersections, wider sidewalks, and uh, real-time bus arrival information at what uh, they hope are well-lit bus shelters. Uh, however, it's nice to know that the community's, uh, community loves the par- local parks and local businesses and uh, appreciates that they have wider access to transit than many other places. Uh, As we proceed with this effort, of course, uh, such feedback will be invaluable, guiding us to create a plan that truly resonates with community aspirations and our values. Uh, Our analysis is not complete, uh, because we are still continuing to gather uh, feedback, uh, having more conversations with the community, and then we'll continue to dive deeper into the feedback that we receive. Uh, With that, I'll turn it back over to Nkosi. Thank you. Our next slide. Uh, So a brief on on existing land uses.
7: So the area has uh, some dominant patterns um, in terms of institutional uses. That's either religious. Um, We have a variety of churches and temples and synagogues um, in the plan area, public schools, um, high schools, two high schools, Northwood and Blair. A lot of single family, some amount of uh, multifamily that's clustered at Arcola. Um, the crossroads of Route 29 and, and University, you have four corners. We have uh, primarily commercial uses there, and then on the other end, obviously the edge of the CBD along Amherst, and then along Arcola, you do have uh, some more um, retail uses that are within um, the plan area. But along the plant, along the frontage of uh, University Boulevard, you do have. Uh, in addition to single family uses, you also have some public parks that, that front onto the, the corridor as well. Uh, we also have Cycle uh, Creek, that's a major uh, regional, countywide asset uh, that runs uh, through uh, part of, of the plan area as well. Uh, next slide. Um, the, the pattern in terms of the land uses that I mentioned. Before we have a lot of Could residential neighborhoods.
2: because we were discussing? If you go back to the previous note, because your indexes doesn't show are those grids, multi families? Because you say single. Uh, I
1: think it's single units attached.
2: Okay, the, so all of those grids that you show, those are single families.
7: Correct. Yeah, you have a yes, mm-hmm. correct. Single family, a traditional single family, a house on a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the
2: majority that. is that along mm-hmm. uh, the University
7: Boulevard. Of of Correct, yeah. we do have, uh, of that 3,400 units, m- a majority, more than 50%, um, are single-family mm-hmm. um, detached units. So we do have some amount of townhouses as well, and we mm-hmm. do have multifamily. We do have some also senior housing as well along the corridor.
1: I would point out that you're housing 30% of the people, in, if approximately 30%, given this slide a couple of minutes ago on a very limited amount of that land that's within the university corridor. Your multifamily is just relatively few lots, housing a a disproportionate number of the people within the the plan.
7: Yeah. Okay, all right, next slide. Uh, so we do have a variety of residential neighborhoods that were built either um, after the First World War or prior to the Second World War. Um, along the corridor, um, residential has been a feature um, in this part of the county for a number of decades. Um, so we have uh, some established neighborhoods, such as Camp Mill, which is known um, well-known within the, the county and region. Woodmore is another neighborhood near on uh, the Four Corners area. Uh, Sligo Woods, and and North Four Corners area. So we have a variety of um, residential neighborhoods that have been here for a number of years. Next slide. Um, We're highlighting here some of the multifamily uses that are along the corridor. So um, sort of Arcola and University, University Towers, as well as the Warwick and um, Arcola Towers, those are three. Uh, multi-family uh, projects that have been built uh, since the late 60s. Um, we have also um, Inwood House, which is a HOC-owned property, all um, about 150-plus units there. Um, and also we... I'm sorry, Inward at 150-unit uh, development. It has a specialized population um, of, of seniors that have physical challenges. A lot of people there um, get around with um, wheelchairs or other mobility devices. So you um, know you have the Oaks at Four Corners, which is an um property next to the um, Four Corners local park. And so those are, and we also have a, um, a small um, nursing home near um, along our near to the intersection as well, near to uh, Northwood, Northwood High. Um, next slide. Um, so, the existing zoning pattern really follows the land use that's been established for a number of years. Um, a lot of single family, either R60, 6,000 square foot minimum lot, or R90. Um, we have one property that's R200, that's the um, Collins Funeral Home at um, Dennis. Um, the zoning rewrite from 2014 um, introduced uh, commercial residential-type zoning um, at Four Corners in terms of replacing the single-use commercial that used to be there. Um, and then you'd also do have neighborhood retail. That's the red on the top portion of this slide. That's highlighting um, Kemp Mill Shopping Center. And we also do have some other prior plan development zones Um, That led to um, some of the townhouses as well as uh, two over two developments that's across from WTOP just for orientation purposes um, that's been built using the plan development zone. Uh, Next slide. Uh, Public facilities, um, we actually do have a very good amount of existing public facilities within the plan area, um, which is a a very good thing. Um, We have... Obviously schools um, through high schools, elementary schools, uh, including Pinecrest, which is a park school site. Um, we have a fire station, um, obviously Blair High um, postal service. Um, so w- the area either within the plan area, or right adjacent to the plan area, have a variety of um, uh, public facilities that serve uh, that serve the community. Uh, next slide. Uh, we're also fortunate to have a variety of parks in terms of uh, within the plan area or, or right adjacent, obviously to the uh, further east of the plan area we have Northwest Branch, uh, Sligo Creek running uh, through a portion of the plan area, uh, Wheaton Forest Local Park, um, as well as North Four Corners Park. Um, we have a park not a park done by Blair High School, and then a smaller uh, urban park uh, right adjacent to the Kemp Mill. Um, shopping center should also note that uh, Chuck Kynes with parks department is also with us this morning not a member of our project team if you have any parks questions you can answer them uh, next slide next
9: uh, I'll turn things over in terms of uh, transportation matters to Alex who will cover that thanks Nkosi. Uh for the record Alex Rixey with Mid County Planning Division um, I'm a transportation planner supporting master plans for the division Um, So this might be a little repetitive of some of the information Cozy already shared, but just a high-level overview of the roadways in the area. Uh, University Boulevard is generally six travel lanes, three in each direction, uh, from Arcola in the northwest, although, I'm sorry, from Amherst in the northwest, all the way down through the interchange with I-495. Interestingly and somewhat uniquely, the the roadway splits into a one-way couplet around uh, US-29, Colesville Road. Um, So there are three lanes in one direction only, and then the other side of the split has the other three lanes. Um, And Colesville is the major cross street in the area, um, which is also generally six lanes, but widens out quite a bit at Four Corners to accommodate turning lanes um, and some of the through lanes. Uh, The rest of the cross streets are generally two lanes, um, more local serving streets. Uh, Next slide. Um, these are just some images of the roadways in the area to give a sense for the character. I'm sure folks are generally familiar, since it's in the uh, nearby vicinity. Um, But University Boulevard, both south and north of Dennis Avenue, uh, relatively wide, six-lane section, um, generally narrow sidewalks directly adjacent to the roadway. Uh, Colesville Road, US 29, is pretty similar. Um, And then just for some contrast, Dennis Avenue is a a smaller roadway with uh, two lanes of traffic, wide median, and some separation between the sidewalk and the roadway. Uh, Next slide. Um, So those pedestrian conditions are reflected in the pedestrian level of comfort score. Um, And in general, the neighborhood streets off of University are pretty comfortable. Many of them have sidewalks, um, separation from lower speed, narrower roadways. Uh, But again, by contrast, University Boulevard itself falls in the undesirable category, which is the uh, least comfortable category in the pedestrian level of comfort score. Um, for a lot of the reasons that I just described generally high speeds um, narrow sidewalks directly adjacent to the roadway uh, So and, and also difficult crossings um, across University Boulevard uh, next slide um, So just going a little deeper into some of those elements uh, these undesirable uncomfortable sidewalks um, Generally cover most of University Boulevard um, Colesville Road is, is similar um, narrow sidewalks illustrated here and um, And most of the sections have no landscape or tree buffer and generally a pretty high speed corridor. The the posted speed is 35 miles an hour, but in the data that was collected during the um, SHA multimodal pilot that I'll describe in a moment, uh, speeds routinely exceeded 45 miles an hour. So it can feel like a lot higher speed roadway than uh, than it's signed for. Uh, Next slide. Um, And pedestrian crossings are also important. And so a lot of the crossings in the area are also either undesirable or uncomfortable And these are some examples and some of the reasons why. There are generally uh, long crossing distances across several lanes of traffic. Uh, Again, those high speeds make crossing challenging. Uh, Several locations have unmarked crossings, or they're marked without any sort of high visibility treatment. Uh, There's generally no median refuge island for pedestrians to wait that if they don't fully cross the street uh, during the um, the signal time. And uh, there are right turn slip lanes um, that allow vehicles to make high speed right hand turns um, across a crosswalk. Uh, next slide. Um, and then this will inform the next slide that I'm showing with some analysis of the locations of protected crossings, but just defining for our purposes what a protected crossing is. Um, there are crossings that are fully signalized, um, so it could be where they have the full three color signal, um, bring vehicles to a stop, and pedestrians have a pedestrian crossing head. Um, they could be always stopped controlled intersections where all approaches have a stop sign, or they could be uh, locations that are controlled by a pedestrian hybrid beacon which is where generally where it's just pedestrians crossing the street and there might not be vehicular traffic, although they can be in locations with driveways or, or other crossings. Um, that's where a pedestrian presses the button. Uh, the lights overhead for vehicles flash yellow, go to solid yellow, go to full red, and then the pedestrian gets a walk signal to cross the intersection. Um, and I just want to note that Maryland law requires vehicles to stop for pedestrians at all crossings, whether marked or not, at all intersections. Um, But these protected crossings are locations where vehicles specifically have a traffic control device to uh, remind them of that. Uh, Next slide. So this is the analysis um, that we performed of the locations of protected crossings, and the uh, Complete Streets Design Guide recommends a maximum spacing between protected crossings of between 800 and 1600 feet on a boulevard, which is the current classification for University Boulevard, Um, We're aiming for closer to the lower end of that range, 800 feet, uh, to improve safety and make this a more walkable and and comfortable place to walk. Um, The longest distance between protected crossings is almost 2,800 feet, so more than half a mile, um, between Dennis Avenue and Caddington Avenue. Um, Colesville Road does not have adequate protected crossing spacing, and so you can see from uh, the the green numbers on the chart uh, are places where crossings are relatively closely spaced and are acceptable, Um, All of the pink numbers, which is the vast majority, more than 90% of the locations, uh, do not meet that standard. Uh, Next slide. Uh, Bikeways show a similar pattern to the pedestrian level of comfort that um, I shared earlier. So a similar scale, uh, ranging from high and moderate stress down to very low stress. And again, a lot of the local neighborhood streets are relatively low speed, relatively narrow, um, tend to be more comfortable for cyclists. Um, But University Boulevard itself, as well as Colesville and um, Arcola as well, um, fall into the high and moderate category that is inappropriate for most children and adults. And this is a particular challenge because there's not a lot of other connectivity. Um, So to travel along the corridor or across the corridor, you really do need to access University Boulevard um, and that high stress um, condition. Next slide. Next slide. Um, So Nkosi mentioned earlier, the the pilot bike lane project was the SHA Multimodal Shared Streets pilot project that was in place between June and December of 2021. Um, And it stretched from Amherst Avenue to Arcola Avenue. And it was basically just uh, delineated by flex posts in the curb lane to designate that space for bicyclists. Uh, Next slide. Um, Safety, a really important issue for this plan. Uh, University Boulevard is on the county's Vision Zero High Injury Network uh, from Amherst all the way down to Four Corners. Um, And the, the crash data show that between 2015 and 2022, there were 34 severe injuries and three fatalities from vehicle crashes in the area. Um, And the the pie chart shows the distribution of those crashes among different roadway users. And I just want to highlight that um, although pedestrian and bicycle severe injuries and fatalities are in the minority, they're not the the majority of incidents. Um, They are disproportionately represented as a share of the travelers on the roadway. So you're more likely to experience, um, unfortunately, a severe injury or a fatality as a pedestrian or bicyclist in the corridor. Uh, Next slide. Uh, Moving to transit, Um, there's a lot of existing transit service, uh, primarily traveling along University Boulevard, but also crossing uh, the corridor. Uh, Lots of ride-on services, the 7, 8, and 9, 19, 21, and 22, and the 31. Um, I do want to highlight the C2 and C4 again. As Nkosi mentioned, um, those are the highest ridership routes in the state combined. Um, And the the map shows the extent of everything, and so I'm sorry they get hidden a bit within the plan area, but the C2 and C4 travel along the entire extent of the corridor from from the southeast end uh, up to the northwest. Um, The flash routes, blue and orange, also travel along Colesville Road, crossing at four corners, and I'll go into a little more detail on those on the next slide. Um, So this slide shows the total um, stop ridership for the existing transit service. And you can see a large concentration at um, Four Corners, but also spread up and down uh, the corridor. Um, All of the stations in italics as part of the top boarding and alighting locations are located at Four Corners. Um, And so combined, all of those stops that are in the immediate Four Corners area um, have an equivalent amount of ridership to the Wheaton Metrorail um, ridership. So pretty substantial amount of boarding and alighting activity happening there. Uh, the two locations in bold I wanted to highlight um, outside of the Four Corners area are at Gable Street, which is um, just across the street from Northwood High School. have a lot of activity as school is uh, opening and letting out. And then at uh, Sligo Creek Parkway, which is just across the street of the uh, Dent's Residential. And I just also wanted to note that there are two stops westbound there, one at Sligo Creek and one that's actually closer to um, the Warwick and uh, University Towers, but on the eastbound direction, the stop um, for all of that land use that would be closest is at Sligo Creek. Uh, Next slide, please. Um, And uh, MCDOT has a proposed pilot bus lane project upcoming. Uh, The goal is to improve transit service, reduce congestion delays, and provide more consistent travel times uh, for those many transit passengers uh, traveling along the corridor. Uh, This will stretch from Amherst Avenue to Dennis Avenue, so a longer extent than the uh, multimodal pilot, and will serve, again, the the variety of uh, Montgomery County routes, but also the the C2 and C4 routes, um, which have the highest ridership in the state, over 6,000 daily riders. Um, So the lane will be open to buses, emergency vehicles, and bicyclists, and then general purpose travel will use the other two lanes um, in each direction of university. Uh, Next slide, please. And I'll turn it over to Bilal Ali. Thank you,
10: Alex. Um, Bilal Ali with the Research and Strategic Projects Division and supported this uh, plan with some market analysis. Um, We're just going to cover the residential market, the retail market, office market, and summarize with some key findings. Uh, Next slide, please. So um, as we've discussed, the residential inventory is roughly 3,400 units, um, relatively low stable vacancy rate of uh, 6.3% amongst the multifamily units. 50% Um, 50% of the units are single family detached, 30% are multifamily uh, in large buildings of 50 units or more, and specifically very large buildings. Um, the, the, there's only a few multifamily, they're very large. They account for 30%, just between five or six buildings. Um, and they're mostly built in the 60s and 70s, and we haven't really seen some of the newer construction there because there hasn't been new housing development. And you can see that reflected in the median year of construction in the corridor, which is 1963. Uh, next slide, please. Um, just l- looking a little bit at the numbers, um, you can see that rents um, in the in the University Boulevard corridor are slightly lower than in the county, but that does reflect um, the fact that the multifamily is somewhat monolithic in terms of its style. It's older. Um, there are some income-restricted units in there as well. Um, it's possible that new multifamily development might command higher rents, something closer to... Um, what rents in Wheaton or Silver Spring, which bookend uh, the corridor, um, but these are the rents of the inventory there today. Um, and then looking at uh, sale prices, you can see that the area is characterized by its relative affordability, a median sale price of $585,000, which would put it in line with Aspen Hill or Burtonsville. Um, a little higher than White Oak, but if you compare it to somewhere else that has been growing as a contrast somewhere like North Bethesda, the median sale price is, you know, nearly a million dollars or a little under $950,000. And in Silver Spring, it's over $720,000 as well. So relatively affordable, but um, as we'll see in the next slide. Um, uh, the. Sale price would still not necessarily be affordable uh, to a household earning the median income um, uh, along, the, along the corridor. So, house, the median household income is about one hundred three thousand dollars. If they, if you use the thirty percent of your gross monthly income metric or standard for affordability, then this is not affordable um, for that income. Um, but of course, you know that's a similar trend throughout the county. Um, this is relatively high uh, housing prices in context of a housing shortage. Um, next slide, please. Um, <clears throat> moving to the retail market, this is some of the most significant sort of non-residential land use sort of, and certainly the most significant commercial land use within uh, the plan area. Um, there are the largest non-residential land use would be uh, religious institutions or quite a few churches and synagogues, um, but retail would be, would be next uh, with roughly 246,000 square feet. Rents are actually in line with countywide rents, so the retail here is in demand. Um, but it's relatively small and that really just reflects the size of the demand from this neighborhood um, it is as I mentioned bookended by two relatively large retail markets in Silver Spring and Wheaton so there's not a lot of potential um, and you know there hasn't been a lot of development because there hasn't been growth typically um, the saying goes that retail follows rooftops so new retail development redevelopment opportunities for retail um, are likely to follow on the heels of new housing development. Um, um, so yeah, next slide, please.
2: So do you yeah. know why there is no development in housing since 1963? That's a big thing. Is it due to the zoning or is it that it was no demand?
10: Um, it's, pri- well, it's primarily a uh, single family, you know, uh, dominated by single family development. And then there's, you know, multifamily just along the corridor, but I would turn to my, um, planning colleagues to maybe explain some of the history of development there. But yeah, it's, it's presumably the zoning, I mean, that's part of the reason to do this plan at all is to reconsider um, the zoning and and potential
7: for more development along the corridor, so. Yeah, I think that what Bilal said is part of the answer in terms of, um, we have to look at this area in in sort of um, like phases or decades, right? In terms of the earlier phase, you had the wave coming off of post-World War II, a lot of single family. Um, and then that continued for a number of years. Um, and then in the 60s, we had multifamily coming in, anticipation of a different sort of roadway network that triggered that develop, those developments at that intersection. Um, and then later on, we had uh, sort of a quieter period in the 70s, and then in the 80s and 90s, we had townhouses mm-hmm. sort of coming in, right? Yeah, totally. And since then, in the 80s and 90s, we really haven't had a significant amount of new development. and Some of the newer projects were more specialized housing, like um, the Oaks at Four Corners, which is senior housing, and then mm-hmm. um, the Inwood House um, at Inwood and University. So, so that's sort of the, the, the over. if you think over the last, say, 80 years of University Boulevard, that's sort of the pattern decade after decade. Now we're in a quiet period, as, below, as shown in, in previous presentations. Um, anything from the, in the 2000 has been um, dormant. And we don't have, in terms of part of this plan, is to really seek um, new opportunities where um, potential property owners could um, sort of reinvest in their property. So um, that's part of our challenge. Um, and we'll come back to you uh, later this year, next year, when we have preliminary recommendations and talk about where <laughs> we could see some potential changes down the road.
11: I would just add Carrie Sanders for the record, uh, Chief, uh, Mid-County Planning. We did have um, one project come before the board uh, over the last year, which um, was essentially a new multifamily building on a parking lot next to a synagogue along the um, corridor. Um, so we, that, but as NCOSI overviewed, I mean, it, it, that's just, that's one project um, over the last, you know, 10 years, so we haven't seen a lot of growth. Um, but it is interesting that the one project that we did see was this with this new apartment building. Um, so,
2: I
1: was going to follow up with a quick. Oh, sorry, let me turn on. Uh,
2: sorry, just uh, I'm trying to understand. You call this plan a corridor plan. You don't call it a sector plan or master plan. Uh, so I'm wondering that when you call it a corridor plan, is it more emphasized? in fixing the transportation issues and the transit or public access to the roadway system or is it emphasized also on the other aspect of master planning that when you call it a sector plan or limited master plan or whatever you call it. So I don't know because anytime I look at the corridor plan to me it feels like that the emphasize is more on providing a better
12: access for people to move around. Tanya Stern, Acting Planning Director. Uh, A a corridor plan is a master plan. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one of several different types of master plans that we have. Uh, I think it's important to go back to Thrive Montgomery 2050, which has as one of its major premises uh, corridor-focused growth And what that means is we look at corridors and plan for corridors, not just in terms of transportation functions and improving that functionality, but also looking at corridors as a place to accommodate future growth, including future housing, future business development, commercial development, et cetera. Um, And so that's really kind of the approach that we're taking with regards to University Boulevard. Uh, Obviously, there's a number of transportation issues that the team has already talked about, uh, but as part of these uh, corridor plans, which is really going to be uh, a big part of sort of our master planning toolkit or toolbox, so to speak, moving forward because of Thrive, it does look at all the other types of issues that, you know, a quote unquote, you know, sector plan might look at, but it's particularly highlighting uh, a specific uh, transportation corridor as sort of the central. Locus so to speak of sort of activity and sort of going out if that makes sense yeah. it does. Thank you so much.
1: I Just had a quick follow-up mostly along those lines. You said 2014 was the last time it was updated with uh, the zoning Something along those lines has there other than that one multifamily, has there been any other development within the rezoned? Areas that you said went to went from commercial to CRT? I think no, no it no. was it the was it the neighborhood crt the low low density crt or was it i'm uh, sorry i would look at it up we
7: have crc we have neighborhood retail yeah. um nr and we have uh crn i believe CRN. CRT. so this was crt yeah.
1: this was yeah. this was a larger one okay thank,
0: thank you yeah um yeah thank you uh, i know you have to finish up but one of the things it's as you look through this quarter there there, there isn't much land you know like that you could grab I mean, today for 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 housing but um but maybe with some rezoning or some other things, I mean, down the road, because this plan would last, what, 10, 20 years? I, mean, yeah.
1: I, saw, I yeah. saw a lot along that corridor yeah. That, yeah. Uh, that I think more could be built on. Yeah.
0: Okay.
2: Just that I know, as much as I know, because I had done some projects and also the land use, is an extreme, extremely sensitive area in regard to ethnicity and different group of the people that are living there. You know, I know that one of the most difficult projects that we had for the parks department was North Fork Corner. And also we had to do a lot of dealing around the camp Mill area. There are a lot of... So we have to be very sensitive in regard to those ethnicities and those different diversities that when we do a zoning, we don't push them out. Because a lot of them are there because of... I guess that they want to keep it that way, but we have to be very careful when we do that, that we don't genocide and push them aside because we want to bring something else. This is something that I, I have seen and I have concern for, for that specific area, the corridor that you're talking about.
7: Yeah, we're, we're um, gonna take a, a strategic and surgical approach regarding where we would recommend changes and sort of build a rationale around that. Um, but again, we'll, we're going to uh, come back to you with um, a plan that I think will address that particular concern that you have. Because it's, um, it's something that we are aware, aware of in terms of our outreach regarding listening to people and hearing those, those similar concerns. So,
10: um, I only have one more slide, um, so if we could just uh, maybe... Jump there, Um, you know, this place uh, or this plan area is not a significant office market, um, so we don't really have to dwell on it, but it's a little under 130,000 square feet, which is not a lot. Um, It's mostly local neighborhood serving office, you know, your tax accountants and lawyers and things like that, Um, mostly sort of B and C, but really just small ordered development. Um, It's not a significant office node within the county, it's um, bookended by two, so it's unlikely to become one in the future. Um, Next slide. Uh, and yeah, these, these, the plan area is predominantly residential. I think we've said that over and over. Um, the most significant non-residential land use would be religious um, institutional uses. To your point, uh, Commissioner Peduim, um, you know it's bookended by two uh, highly developed areas, so um, that sort of uh, curtails some of the development potential in the area. Um, um, and most of the opportunities will lie in supporting more residential development, which could support more retail development as well.
7: Uh, Next and final slide, Um, it's sort of like where we are. So we've done um, a lot of visioning, a lot of analysis, a lot of that shared with you. Um, Today um, we'll be uh, coming back, uh, well using this fall to prepare our uh, sort of staff working draft uh, recommendations um, and then coming back to you later on with those preliminary uh, recommendations as well as into next year. Um, dealing with your review, the board's review, via work sessions, public hearing, um, et cetera, and then following up with uh, the county executive and county council uh, later uh, into 24. So that's um, where we are on this project, that's our briefing. Uh, We're here to uh, answer uh, any questions you may have.
3: Thank you for your um, update Plan. I'm very familiar with the area, Um, and it's enlightening to know that there hasn't been any real new development in that area since uh, I think it was 1960s. And since is it been the 60s?
7: Well, we've had development since the 60s, but periodically, on a median average, You want to. Yeah, the
10: median year built was in the 60s. I think some of the multifam the last multifamily building was built in uh, 1980. It was redeveloped or uh, renovated um, recently, but yeah. And the commercial development pretty much uh, ceased in the 80s. Uh,
7: I'm
3: familiar with the area because of connections and in, um, particular institution I visit there and was a part of. Um, And one of the interesting aspects of that area is the intersection of University and 29, where the Four Corners area, where the church is. And then across the street from the church is the um, Vitamin shop, 7-Eleven, McDonald's, Papa John's. And it's like these two islands are very, very curious. And I think it was developed at a time without an anticipation of the traffic that is there now, and it's a very complex traffic area also. Uh, In particular, with access to the one townhome office park, um, Montgomery Blair High School, Four Corners itself, and then also the local community park that is up the road from there. It's very, very interesting. And another interesting aspect of it is the intersection of uh, the, I don't know if it's Rock Creek Parkway, but it's a major park that connects from University Boulevard And what's interesting about that stretch of road is because I think there were two high profile police car crashes there that uh, one police officer crashed coming around that turn. And there may have been another incident where a police officer was killed um, by a drunk driver in that area. So it it is a complex area and I look forward to the plan that you all come up with um, to, to redevelop and reconsider that area um one of the interesting things about the slide you put up is that um i forgot the term of art you used but i don't find it safe for pedestrian access and use. oh i forgot northwood high school abuts it also uh where, where Arcola road is and i've never seen any of the pedestrian traffic there for northwood high school but i know the pedestrian traffic for the students Exiting Blair High School is very troublesome to me when I see them crossing the street and that intersection is 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 the intersection of twenty nine and university. I think it might even be on some insurance companies websites as one of the most dangerous intersections in America, University Boulevard and Twenty Nine because it's so 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 treacherous for foot traffic, car crashes, car traffic. It's one of the and what's so hard about it is that the way it was developed at a time was never never anticipated this kind of kind of traffic there um the question i do have is that is there a plan for south of 495 continuing down through tacoma park on that area especially once it gets to prince george's county Um, the Prince George's County side is like a catastrophe. It's like um, very, very interesting. And the reason why I say it's a catastrophe, they have Jersey wall roads in the middle of of the Langley Park area. Um, The development and zoning and regulations there is a catastrophe. And another reason why I'm asking is because a lot of people on the Prince George's County side of that come over into Montgomery County to utilize the services because they're like the public services, the public buses, um, retail, because they're better managed and maintained. I was wondering whether or not that plan is gonna extend all the way down. I don't know what cutoff road it is, but it's Tacoma Park University. I don't know where the, the county line, or which road it is—I don't know if it's Riggs Road or not—but you know, I'd be really interested in seeing what you guys have planned for there because that area is—I I would believe, in my opinion, based on another board I'm on that deals with healthcare—is a crisis area, and it needs serious developmental um, reconsideration and plans. And I was wondering whether or not you had one. Thanks.
11: I can jump in to answer that question, Commissioner Bartley, Um, and we completely agree that the area that's south of 495 needs some specialized planning work, and so part of what we did was coordinate with our colleagues over in the Down County Division to (coughs) break up this plan into pieces so we could make sure we give it attention um that it needs because often if we try to tackle something just of a large large geographic scope it's more difficult to to reach as many people because it's just it's a lot of people as you Mm -hmm. can see there's almost 10,000 in our immediate area so that we're looking at right now so you'll see uh down county planning coming to you to present a scope for that portion of the corridor basically um looking south of 495 um, and east of four ninety-five, and uh, that should be coming to you in the next few months. Uh, this spring, likely. Mm-hmm. This is the Eastern Silver Spring Communities plan
12: yeah. that's going to pick up. Where do you
2: know uh, this what is up. the construction going on in that area, of Langley Park, for three, four years, five years? It's under construction. I don't know if it's purple line. It's the purple line.
4: Purple, purple line. For
2: five years, the, the road yes. is, is a disaster in that area. It's <laughs> completely <laughs> disaster. Uh, I don't drive there that much, but I go there every once in a while often enough that to see. There is no improvement. And I don't know. These people should have been very patient (laughs) doing that. (laughs) Now that I have the microphone, can I ask you a question? Um, In your uh, presentation, you talk about 800 feet maximum distance between the protected crossings. Could you please educate me what that means? That means that between two traffic light or two signals, you don't want to have more than 800 feet. Is that what it means?
9: That's right. Yeah, the Complete Streets Design Guide um, lays out uh, maximum spacings between protected intersections for a variety of different roadway types. And so for this one, the target is um, between 800 and 1,600 feet. Um, But I'm... uh, suggesting that we focus more on the, the lower mm-hmm. end of that 800 feet as the, the maximum desired distance between protected crossings. That could be signalized intersections or kind of that list I was describing stop controlled intersections or the pedestrian hybrid beacons. So yeah, that we don't want to is be longer for, than uh, even
2: though there is no block or no street or no intersection. So if you have, it's a very long block, okay? Mm-hmm. At University of the US 29, they have it that is very, very long block and you are suggesting that every 800 feet we allow some kind of beacon light or something for pedestrian to cross even though if there is no block there. I do not know if I understand that if that is safe enough for people to cross something like that. I don't know, but I guess that you are the transportation person. But is that the vision that we have?
9: Yeah, we're still developing our recommendations. I think generally we try to align those crossings with existing intersections. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think you do call out an issue on this corridor where often the uh, adjacent streets are offset and so there isn't a clear crossing um, across the street. Um, And so in some cases I think we might uh, recommend mid-block crossings which would be probably more of that pedestrian hybrid style. Mm
11: -hmm. But I think we would also, Carrie Sanders for the record, we'd also coordinate closely with MCDOT, Montgomery County Department of Transportation and State Highway Administration, Mm -hmm. on any recommendations that we put forward. We've had two workshops with them um, that the staff have organized, sort of, you know, several hours in length to to basically talk through some of these concerns and make sure they're you know, coordinated and collaborating with us on any recommendations. Um, And I think the other thing I would add that's a little bit unique for this corridor that we don't always see is the high volume of bus ridership that is not coordinated Mm
5: -hmm. with
11: the people that are walking to the bus or rolling or biking, whatever the case may be. Um, It's very unusual to have such harsh pedestrian conditions combined with such high bus ridership. So that's really a big concern for us. Uh, so, we're continuing to look yeah. at that sort of as we move through the process.
2: In regard to the vice ridership, I saw that you said that is the highest number of vice uh, ridership in the whole country. I would like to see what. Uh, has state,
9: be- just to be clear. State of Maryland. <laughs> oh, it was a state.
2: I thought it was a. Okay, a state. But it still is pretty high. So, it would be good to see what is the success, uh, regardless and of issues with uh, pedestrian that they reach to the bus stop. If we fix that, maybe even go higher. So it would be good to see that how we have been able to create such a highest ridership and use the examples of that and uh, use it anywhere else in the county because it's not really multi-family. We said that it's about 50% single family, but still we have the highest. uh, Bus ridership. So, do we know why schools? I think it is good to know why, and how we have achieved that. That could be an example for using it other places. Mm -hmm. You know.
1: Oh, Oh, I'll make it quick. We can we can go on to the next thing. Uh, First, I go back to the transportation thing. Like, I, I like the idea of limiting the transport the distance between crossings, particularly when it looks like on those those injury and fatality things that you have a lot of people cross where they're going to cross, and it looks like a lot of those ended up being mid-block crossings or attempts to go across the street at places where there are not intersections. So, like, I, I really like that part of the plan. I thought that was good, uh, and we should sort of like really drill down on that, particularly the upper part. I think is where it looked like it was the more um, there's the four corners, and then there was some of the upper. Uh, the second thing, too, is, is that um, those affordable neighborhoods don't stay affordable if we don't do anything with them. Like, we're gonna see at 585 with a median household income that's already higher than sort of like Twinbrook in my neighborhood, which is, used to be also affordable, you know, in the th- like high 300s range, like less than a decade ago. So, like, a lot of the research on maintaining affordability and avoiding displacement comes with more housing within the areas. And if we're gonna maintain affordable neighborhoods in the county, we have to build in those neighborhoods to avoid displacing the residents that are there. They will get bid out if we don't do anything like that. And 20% turnover on a regular basis usually average. You're gonna have people moving in and out. There's gonna be turnover you don't build, they're gonna get priced and bid out. And then, The third thing, too, is I think the outreach is really good. Like, this is incredible outreach that's been done on this plan. And given the amount of times that we hear about outreach being a problem, uh, I really want to highlight in this plan the amount, the depth, the extension, like, and the equitable outreach that was done. And so I think that when we come back with that to highlight a lot of that that was done. And, like, you, the pictures of y'all, that are in there like i think it's good to highlight that not only did we outreach not only did we reach out with with canvassing with everyday canvassing but literally the people writing the plan have gone out and knocked doors and talked to people bus stops and things like that so that was really impressive and i think that's something really to highlight as we go forward i would like Backward to fashion. echo
3: what mr hedrick said and uh, i wrote that out, down and i said it's impressive that the staff does the field work and that it was not outsourced Right, so there's, so when you outsource the work, and with a contractor, there's, there's something lost, right? It's like the communication game, where somebody gathers communication and says, "This is what's important," so this is what we're going to give them. But the fact that you all used vivo software, and then um, took this, took a generalized comment, and took care to break down that comment sentence by sentence, and and categorize it. Issue by issue, category by category, and compartmentalize and connect the citizens was is very impressive. So I'd like to echo what Mr. Hedrick said.
0: Yes. yes. So thank you for your presentation. We look forward to coming back with uh, next steps. You know, uh, in the work sessions that we have with the board. Um, yeah, I think this is going to be. It, it, it'd be great if it looked given that there are three lanes each way. It'd be great. This had you have space to. To slow down the traffic, you know, yeah. and so it'll be interesting with the transportation solutions, including um, what's going to happen at Four Corners. How we can, you know, uh, if, if what recommendations you have there, and as, as uh, Commissioner Hedrick said, I really want to. See, it would be great to see how we can create more housing and that, you know, creatively look at creating more uh, housing opportunities, as well as respecting, as uh, Vice Chair Petowam said, you know, the the diversity of in, in the area, um, so, so thank you so much, and we appreciate this. this is very informative, and we look forward to the next steps, thank you. And so thank you. Um, we're going to go to item number seven, which is a closed session, and I and I just wanna, um, it's a, uh, the topic to be discussed is planning director position, and according to the Maryland Annotated Code, general provisions article 3-305B, -1 to be discussed to discuss the appointment, employment, assignment, promotion, discipline, demotion, compensation, removal, resignation or performance evaluation of an appointee, employee or official over whom it has jurisdiction or any other personnel matter that affects one or more specific individuals. So the topic to be discussed is planning director position. Do I have a motion to go into closed session? Uh, move that we go into closed session.
2: I second it. All in favor? Aye.
0: Aye. Aye. Is Mr. London there? I don't see. Well, we'll have one sort of abstain, so we have four, <laughs> one abstain, zero, so that the ayes have it. Thank you.